All right, our Old Testament lesson today is from Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. It should be found on page 62 in the Old Testament section of your pew Bibles. And last week, we read from Exodus uh, 16, where the people were wandering around in the desert after they had been freed from slavery in Egypt. And in the desert, they said, we don't have any food. And they were very upset about not having any food. And God provided bread for them even in the wilderness. And we saw how Jesus then said he was the bread of life. Well, this week we're going to be talking about water. So what happens in Exodus 17? We'll see. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. We thank you for the rain. We thank you for your word and your spirit. We thank you for Jesus, who refreshes and satisfies our souls, even in the way that the water refreshes satisfies the land and the plants. Lord, we ask today that you would give us not only knowledge and information, God, that you would give us hearts that long for you. That you would give us hearts that are passionate about not only who you are and what you have done for us, but also passionate about our neighbors, our family members, those who have not yet heard or received this good news. Lord, we ask that you would continue the work of transformation that you are working in our hearts and our lives today. That we can trust you to bring that work to completion. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Exodus 17, 1 through 7, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people found fault with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you find fault with me? Why do you put the Lord to the proof? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? With this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the rod with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the fault-finding of the children of Israel, and because they put the Lord to the proof by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Then turning to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Paul writes to the church in Rome, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access to this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, 
knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Why, one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good one, for a good man, one will dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we are now justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Not only so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received our reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are in the second week of our REACH series, which again is an acronym that helps us understand um, better some strategies of evangelism, how we can share the good news with our friends and neighbors and maybe even our enemies, how we can reach out to people for Jesus. Um, We have kind of a change of plan in that last week I intended to cover the first two letters, R and E, and we only made it through the first one. You'll be relieved to know I'm not going to try to make that up and cover all the rest of them this week. We're just going to do letter E, and we'll just keep moving a little slower that way. Uh, This whole acronym was uh, actually put together by a friend of mine, Matthew Halstead, who was the youth pastor in Sonora, who's now pastor at a church in uh, Oklahoma, in McLeod. And I love the way that he put these together. I think it's a very helpful, helpful way of remembering each of these uh, ways to reach others. And last week we covered letter R, which, if you remember, stands for remember. And what is it that we're to remember? To remember that God saves people. We don't save people. God saves people. And uh, I think it's interesting, actually, that he is a pastor at a Baptist church. This is the issue that, that they have, is with the first two letters... It's a big issue with you know, the sovereignty of God versus the responsibility of humans. And so in the Baptist church, dealing with the sovereignty of God, if we don't save people, it's God that saves people, and we don't fully understand that, that one's a little more difficult for them. And I was talking to him about it. I said, you know, I think that one's going to be pretty easy for us. We say in a Presbyterian church, you know, we don't save people, God saves people. And everybody goes, that's right, we don't say amen because it's a Presbyterian church. But... Um, <laughs> But we think it inside. We do. We think that. And uh, <laughs> the second one, though, is where I think we struggle more as Presbyterians than they would in a Baptist church, because the second one, the second letter, is letter E, which stands for engage. And I think often in the Presbyterian church, we are so set on God is over all. He is the one who saves. He's the one who does everything. Therefore, I don't have to do anything. I'm just going to sit here and you know watch God take care of it all, and I will applaud, but I'm not going to get involved. And, um, and I don't think that that is 
uh, biblical by any means for a couple reasons. One is that is certainly not what Jesus taught, and secondly, that's certainly not what Jesus did. So if we are going to learn from Jesus, both in what he teaches and what he does, we're going to have to be engaged. So that's what we're going to talk about today, um, very briefly, is what it means to be engaged. We're going to be looking at John chapter 4, verses 1 through 15, the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. We're just going to look at the first part of that today. It will continue on uh, in the weeks to come. But before we even look at that, we're going to watch a short video uh, that hopefully will be inspirational with this idea of getting involved and being engaged. If I can remember how to do it.
All right. I don't think that was too subtle, was it? It's pretty right out there. Um, and tackling the very same issue we're dealing with uh, this morning, although the applications there gave a lot of uh, things you can do if you're reading those signs. Um, and today we're primarily talking about the sharing the gospel. That was one of the, one of the signs. There are lots of them. And as we look at that and what it means to do something, uh, you know, obviously we have the issue of God is in charge, he is over all, and yet we still need to act. We're going to look at John chapter 4, like I said, and just look at a few things that Jesus did and see what we can learn from that. John chapter 4 it says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Okay, that's where we're going to stop for a second. See, the first thing that Jesus did, and that is Jesus took the initiative. In this conversation, he's the one who starts it. Did you pick up on that? They're both at the well, and you might think, that it would be a little awkward. Of course he's going to say something. It would be a little awkward if they both came to the well and nobody said anything and you're just like there next to each other. But actually, at that time and place, it would be much more awkward for them to talk. When she's coming to the well, she sees this as a Samaritan woman, she sees this Jewish rabbi sitting there at the well and I'm, I'm pretty sure her first thought is not, oh, I wonder what he's going to say. No. I, she was probably pretty confident he was going to say nothing. He's there, okay, that's kind of annoying, he's in my way, but I'll go, I'll get my water, and I'll leave. There will be no conversation here between the Jewish rabbi and the Samaritan woman. That crosses all kinds of social boundaries. And so she comes to get her water, and Jesus takes the initiative. He goes first. And he goes first in a way that is very common. Now, speaking at all was kind of the shocking part, but what he said wasn't shocking. Did you hear what he said? Will you give me a drink? Now, when you think about evangelism and sharing the good news of Jesus, is that the way you generally think of beginning? Is with something so common and ordinary and everyday and like, oh, come on, Jesus, what are you doing? That's not even a a big spiritual thing. You're just asking for a drink of water. Yep. He's asking for a drink of water. And is that uh, because he's trying to get somewhere else? Maybe. Probably also because he's thirsty. And we actually need water. And yes, even Jesus needed to drink water. He was tired from the journey. He sits down by the well and he asks the woman for a drink of water. But what I want you to see there 
is that Jesus is the one who takes the initiative. Uh, sometimes our more Presbyterian view of evangelism is, I'm not really going to say anything, but I know, you know, 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the hope that you have in you, right? So that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to be ready in case somebody asks me about Jesus, and I sure hope they don't ask me. But that's not the whole story. Yes, we should be ready for when we're asked, but we're not just supposed to sit around and wait to be asked. We're actually supposed to take the initiative in relationships with others. Um, But I want you to notice, even when he takes the initiative, he doesn't do it in a weird way, but in this uh, very ordinary way. Will you give me a drink? He doesn't come and say, Samaritan, huh? Yeah, so you guys... Don't believe any of the Bible except the first five books? Well, let me tell you why you're wrong. He doesn't start there. He doesn't start with a religious issue. He doesn't start with um, picking her apart for things religiously or morally or anything else. He starts in a very ordinary way. Will you give me a drink? So the challenge is for us to take the initiative. By the way... The other place that we see this so clearly is what we read in uh, Romans 5, where it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if you talk about taking the initiative, Jesus does not wait for us. You get that part? He doesn't wait for us to come to him before he died for us. It's while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus does not wait for this woman to get everything fixed up before he begins talking to her. He takes the initiative. He reaches out to her. And we'll talk more along those lines next week when we cover the letter A. You'll have to wait till then to find that out. But for now, Jesus takes the initiative. Secondly, the, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Which is true. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So the second thing that Jesus does, yes, he began with something very ordinary, but the second thing he does, he's very resourceful. He's turning the conversation from the everyday, the ordinary, the physical, to things of a more spiritual nature. Now She doesn't quite get that yet, but that's what he's doing. He's changed the topic from mere physical water to refresh your body and quench your thirst physically to something else. So what he's doing is, which is, by the way, that's not something to do as a blanket. This is your evangelism thing is get people talking about water so then you can talk about living water. I think the reason Jesus talked about water there is because there was a well there. That's what they were already talking about. So he uses what's there, what they're already talking about, to point to something higher. Now, I know it's dangerous in West Texas to to imply there might be something more important than water. I get that. However, I think that's what Jesus is doing, is pointing to not only uh, the physical water that's there, but showing how even that points to something beyond. And I think we can do that with everything. I actually knew a pastor years ago, and he would go on youth trips with us back when I was in high school. And uh, he had this game that he would play. 
where any kid at any time could pick anything and say, okay, go. And he would have to, on the spot, do an object lesson about what that object would teach us spiritually. It was an interesting game. Now, I will say, some of his lessons were better than others. (laughs) But I love the idea of that game, that you could look at anything in the world, anything around you at any time, and say, there is something that we can use from this to explain something that we've learned biblically, something that we have learned from God and Jesus. Everything can, uh, can be an illustration one way or another. And that's what Jesus does here. He's resourceful, and he turns the, con- the conversation to something of a spiritual nature. And then third, we're flying through this today, aren't we? Third, she responds by saying, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And of course, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, at this point, she still doesn't get it. The conversation will continue and it will build and we will see that in the weeks to come. But for now, part three is this. What Jesus does here is he is very centered on her, her need. He's also very centered on himself. Now, careful here. What we do not learn from this is that we need to be self-centered as we talk about, uh, as we talk to others about Jesus. Instead, Jesus was pointing to himself because he is the one that is to be pointed to. And so for us, we are to be Jesus-centered just as Jesus was Jesus-centered. And so when he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. We don't go and say, if you will drink the water I have to offer. No. We say, if you drink what Jesus has to offer, and we point back to Jesus. These are all ways that we can fall down. The temptation, first of all, of course, is to not take the initiative. To just wait for an opportunity to present itself when someone will ask you explicitly. And never take that initiative of conversation, relationship, or anything. That's not what we see Jesus doing here. The second thing, though, is never turning a conversation, a relationship, even over time, to talk about God. Do you notice where they were, by the way? That's another important thing. They were not in the temple. They were not in the synagogue. They were just out in the everyday, regular world, talking about the things of God. And sometimes we get a little weirded out. People start talking about Jesus outside of church. We're like, whoa, let's wait till Sunday. (laughs) But no, this is supposed to be a conversation for everywhere. And if you have a relationship with someone over years and you have never talked about the things of God, why is that? Is it because you're not taking the initiative? Or is it because 
Um, you'd never realize that would be an appropriate thing to do. And then finally, even when we talk about the things of God, sometimes our temptation is to keep them only in the realm of you know, things that are kind of politically correct to talk about with people. And I will tell you, Jesus is not politically correct to talk about. And so sometimes we'll talk about the, you know, the heaven or we'll, you know, the man upstairs or something like that. But we don't get around to talking about Jesus. And here's what I really want to challenge you with as we talk about evangelism. When Jesus is at this well, she says, you know, how can you ask me for a drink? You might expect that he would say, look, you're the one with the, with the jar to draw the water up. I'm sitting here, I'm all hot and tired. You might say, why didn't you offer me a drink? If you see the state that I'm in. But instead he says, if you knew the gift of God and what it is to ask, that who it is that asks for a drink, you would have asked him. And then he, as much as she should have maybe been looking at his physical need, he is looking at her spiritual need. If we can look around at those in the world and actually see them thirsting, thirsting for God, maybe even if they don't, they don't know it, but running after things that they're trying to satisfy our soul. Maybe you find yourself in that situation, trying to find something to satisfy your soul. Jesus is the answer there. He is the one that can quench the thirsty soul. If we see people this way, why would we withhold that which can satisfy? I don't know that it's polite to say, you just run after whatever you want to, even though you know it's not going to satisfy. Sometimes we try to hide behind politeness or good manners, political correctness. But if we know what can satisfy, if we have found that in ourselves, and if we really care about the person we're talking to, and we want them to find the same satisfaction, why would we not share that? It is good news. So take the initiative. Ah, turn the conversations, things of God, be Jesus-centered even as you are um, helping others to find satisfaction of their deepest needs. And one uh, final, two final quotes from J.I. Packer in his book, The Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, which uh, if you want to go much deeper with the last two Sundays, this book is fantastic. But he says, as far as this being engaged, taking the initiative, actually doing something about sharing the gospel, if we are still remembering that, um, we have to remember that it is still God who saves people. Yes, we take the initiative. Yes, we do these things. But we have to remember that God is the one who saves people. So here's what he says. He says, while we must always remember that it is our responsibility to proclaim salvation, We must never forget that it is God who saves. It is God who brings men and women under the sound of the gospel, and it is God who brings them to faith in Christ. Our evangelistic work is the instrument that he uses for this purpose, but the power that saves is not in the instrument. It is in the hand of the one who uses the instrument. 
And we must never forget that at the same time. He says, God did not teach us the reality of his rule in order to give us an excuse for neglecting his orders. If we say God is over all, we say, okay, then does that mean he's over you? Yes, he's over me. Has he told you to preach the good news to all creation? Yes. Are we going to do it? Well, no. Why not? Because God is over all. Well, does that mean he's over you? Yes. (laughs) Has he told you to share the news? Yes. Are you going to do it? No. Why? (laughs) You see where that goes. So he did not teach us the reality of his rule in order to give us an excuse for neglecting his orders, but rather to give us confidence as we obey his word and share him with others. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.